Dave, and this is Lynn. I'm going to call my wife up here for a minute. She always loves it when I do this. She didn't know I was going to do this. Um, two weeks ago, we celebrated 49 years of blissful marriage. Did you all get that chuckle? <laughs> we used to say we'd been happily married for 39 years. Unfortunately, we'd been married for 49 years. <laughs> anyway, uh, Lynn and I are missionaries, and God called us. Uh, I grew up up Yonzeed, and Lynn grew up in Winnipeg, but God called us as missionaries to go. And the number one question people ask us then, now, and always is, so as missionaries, what do you do? <laughs> That's the wrong question. You will never get the right answer. The question is, who are you? When God plants a tree from one forest into another, to do what? No, to be. And as you're together, you cross-pollinate. And so we go there and cross-pollinate. We come back here and we cross-pollinate from what was there. But having spent 11 years in, in Rwanda, half the, half the year in Rwanda for 11 years, and oh, and I want to say too, you can't sit down <laughs> In Rwanda, when I got an invitation to go someplace to speak at an event or whatever it was, and if I arrived without Lynn, they would say, where's Lynn? I said, well, the invitation was addressed to me. Lynn's name wasn't on it. And he says, there is no Dave without Lynn. Driver, go get Lynn. Call her, tell her, make sure she's ready. We're getting her. She's got to be here. So, well, this is a men pastors only. No, no, no. There's no Dave without Lynn. So I just want to give kudos to my wife, who listens to me <laughs> and pretends, pretends she cares <laughs> as I process stuff. So I just want to say thank you. If we'd only known back then, you know, things we know now, right? Choices might be different. We want to look into the Gospel of Luke this morning. Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, and then we're going to look at Luke chapter 3. The title of the sermon this morning is, Get Your House in Order. Whatever you hear, when God says to you, get your house in order, the next phrase in your mind is what? I think I'm going to die. Right? The end is here. Get your house in order. But get your house in order is also, something's going to come, something's going to happen, and your house better be in order or it's going to collapse. So get your house in order, or... The subtitle could be Posturing for a Move of the Holy Spirit. And the way God works in me and through me is that when he, when I, when he brings the word through me is that there's times when, you, when each of us will say, ah, that's for me. Oh, this is amazing. And I might have said that and I might not have said that, but that's just how it works. So just so you know, I need to be faithful and we each need to be faithful. And then God will communicate what he wants to communicate and typically, the really, really good things I don't remember ever saying. And it's good that way. You see, it's good that way. So we can receive it from the Lord. And he communicates to me as well. Father, I, I give myself to you. And uh, here I am. I'm your vessel. Thank you, Father. You've opened this door for me to bring a word. Two Sundays in a row. What a wonderful gift. Thank you. I ask you for that. Thank you. And so, Father, will you... Will you Strengthen and encourage each of us together in your word. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Amen. Luke chapter 1. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. It also seemed good to me since I have already investigated everything from the very first to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the the certainty of things about which you have been instructed. This is now after the, the crazy events of uh, Jesus coming and John coming and the world turning upside down and everything's happening. This is before that any of the scripture was written. And Luke, the doctor, who is a meticulous, detailed guy, said, I'm going to do an investigation of exactly what happened because people aren't going to believe it. And it's just 
crazy insane. So he does that. He interviews the people who were there. He interviews the people who were healed, the people who were raised from the dead, people who sat with Jesus, people who took notes when he preached. He interviewed them to find out, okay, what really happened? And probably interviewed the soldiers who were bribed to say that Jesus's body was stolen. So he interviews everybody to figure out what's going on and then clearly lays out systematically what happened. Uh, Luke also, as soon as he finishes the book of Luke, he goes to Acts, it, it's kind of one book. But it's, it's an important thing to look at. So for a move of the Spirit, if we're looking at a move of the Spirit, we can look at the first move of the Spirit and see what happened and we can learn a lot of things from what happened. Uh, so in, oh, hang on a second, there it is. And hindsight can be 2020. Not always, but it can be. Like, when I was a kid, and I thought riding the toboggan in a really, really windy day in a flat, flat prairies, what can you do? How can you play? So I got my toboggan, I lined it up where the strongest wind was, and I had a four-by-eight sheet of plywood, and I hoisted it up because I was going to catch the wind and go sailing with this on the toboggan. Mm-hmm. My dad caught me just before I hoisted the sail. He said, have you thought about what you're going to do when you get wherever it is you're going? Well, I hadn't thought about that. I was just going to enjoy the ride. So sometimes you take the ride. And you go down there. And then you look back and you learn from it. And you learn from hindsight. And hindsight, often is said, is 2020. Unfortunately, it isn't always. We don't always learn from our mistakes. But it is for Luke. Okay, so Luke looks back at an incredibly tumultuous four years. It was only four years from when John came to when Christ was crucified. Just think back to four years and the, the stuff that happened. It's nuts. So in the, in the four years, what happened is, first of all, there were senior citizens, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who had not had children, couldn't have children. She'd had menopause. Everything was done, finished. But they were respected in the community. And God has the audacity. It's like he thinks he's God. And he sends the Holy Spirit to Zacharias and says, you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him John the Baptist. And he doesn't really believe him, which is why he couldn't talk for nine months. Mary believed the angel she could talk. Zacharias did not. He could not talk for nine months. She conceived, she bore a son, and they named him John the Baptist. That same year, Mary, who was the niece to Elizabeth, uh, has an angel visit her. Again, what does God think he's doing? sending an angel to a woman engaged to be married, not yet having wedlock, and says, you're going to have a son. She says, well, I, that's cool, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not yet fully married. And, and the angel says, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit's going to come. Whatever your problems are, whatever your situation, the Lord says to you, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit's going to come. The Holy Spirit's going to come. Mm. Okay, so to Mary, you're going to give birth to the chosen one, the Messiah, the one who's going to bring hope. She says, okay. Now, at some point in John's life, he heads out into the wilderness. So John is born six months before Jesus. He goes out into the wilderness, and he wears um, rags and eats grasshoppers and honey. They have grasshoppers where we were to eat in Africa. I kept wanting to eat them. And uh, there's a locust season, and they all capture the locusts, and they run around with empty two-liter Pepsi jugs, and they catch the locusts, and they stuff them all full of these, these locusts. And I said, i gotta have, got to have me some of them. For some reason, they didn't want to give them to me. I don't know what it was, but I said, I, I want to eat it. Cook them how you cook them, now I want to eat them. I never did. One of my great regrets is not having eaten locusts. <laughs> they thought there's something wrong with this white guy, that he wants to eat these these things, and there probably is. Um, but there he was out in the wilderness. Now, this is a really good way to attract people's attention and to make sure that your message gets heard, right? You go look, you live and act like a maniac, an absolute lost-his-mind maniac, and that's John the Baptist. And he's out in the wilderness. So, so, that, so that happens, and the move of the Spirit cannot be manipulated. cannot be controlled, cannot be exploited for anybody's own purpose, and cannot be stopped. 
That's good news if you're a surfer and the big wave comes and you know how to catch the wave. <laughs> it's bad news if you're like me, <laughs> where swimming is something you talk about. See, I've drowned, and so I know what swimming doesn't work like. I've drowned. I've, and my body, every time I get un- my head is underwater, it panics because it remembers drowning. You don't forget some things in life, you know? I mean, I was underwater, unconscious, and they dragged me out and they brought me back to life. So I know what drowning feels like. Quite pleasant, I thought. So now we're going to move on to Luke chapter 3. So now Jesus is already... 30, 30 years have passed, and, and, and Jesus is, is about ready to go into to ministry. And John the Baptist is out in the wilderness. So I'm just going to read this portion, then we're going to go through it little by little. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee. His brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Eturia, and Trochonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Anus and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight, the rough way smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. He then said to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Ah, This guy really knows how to get a crowd going. Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance and don't start saying to yourselves, We have Abram as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What then should we do? The crowds asked him. He replied to them, The one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none, and the one who has food must do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. They asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He told them, Don't collect any more than what you have been authorized. Some soldiers also questioned, What should we do? said to them, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation. Be satisfied with your wages. Now the people were waiting expectantly, and all of them were debating in their minds whether John might be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn up with a fire that never goes out. Then, along with many other exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people. Good news. But, but, Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked, by him about Herodias, his brother's wife, and about all the evil things Herod had done, added insult to injury, added to everything else, he locked John up in prison. Father, these are the very words of God. Penetrate our hearts with the truth. Help us to see who we really are and who you really are for your glory. Amen. I propose to you that how these people were living and where they were living is exactly the same as it is for us today. And I'll make my point. We understand these people completely in the situation if we're just willing to connect some dots and use a little prophetic imagination. And I believe we can do that without moving away from Scripture. So in the 15th year, I'm going back now to verse 1. In the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, the bad-hearted chief, chief looks brave. That was what Herod means. He was a bad-hearted guy. Chief looks brave. And he was the tetrarch of Galilee. His brother, friend of many horses, uh, called Philip, was the tetrarch of the region of Eutyria, and Traconais, and Lysen, etc., etc., So what we have here is, it's a family affair. Leadership is a family affair. It's the same today. Leaders that are in power have family that get in power. It it, it works the same. So let's not be surprised. That's That's how it is. So people of influence and power are usually also in multiple areas. 
You're not just an influence and power in whatever, in business or in the school system or in government, in the church, in the community. Typically, guys and girl, gals, where it's allowed, shame us, are in leadership in many places, but typically it's not just one. So if you mess up in church and the elder, head elder of the church is your boss at work, it'll, hit, it'll, it'll impact you. You mess up at work and your boss is the lead elder at church, it'll impact you. You know that. We all know that to be true. And we can give many examples which we will spare us from today. But just so we understand this, this, this family that was ruling, Herod. We, we read Herod, and throughout the New Testament, we have Caesar, we have Herod, we have all these guys. And so we need to understand something. There's Herod I lived from 37 BC, ruled from 37 BC to 4 BC. He's also known as Herod the Great. Why? Because he built the great temple of Jerusalem. Hallelujah. And he massacred the male babies in Bethlehem. Then we have Herod Antipas from 4 BC to 39. He was the son of Herod the Great. He ruled one-fourth of his father's kingdom. And he's the one who killed John the Baptist and mocked Jesus Christ. Okay, then we have Agrippa from 37 to 44. He was the grandson of Herod the Great. He beheaded James, the apostle, and imprisoned Peter. They had great family conversations, right? I mean, this guy said that arresting Peter, having him beheaded, got him so much praise he was looking for somebody else to, to behead. He's like, this is a cool idea. Thank you. Thank you. Whoever, thank you. Agrippa II from 52 to 95, was the great-grandson of Herod the Great. He heard Paul's defense when Paul was in court. And then Herodians, these are political supporters of Herod the Great and his family. So there's the bunch. They're all together. They're talking about things, and, and the, the kings we read about that do bad things, they heard about these things as Grandpa talked about them, and that just is how it is. Now, I suggest to you that when we look to a leader or anybody to bring us out of a situation. We're looking for Messiah. That's the truth. We don't say those words. We're looking for a savior. We're looking for somebody to protect us, for somebody to rescue us, for somebody to carry us and fix everything. Revelation tells us there will be many who come and say, I am the Messiah. And we keep saying, okay, where is that one who's going to say it? Guess what? They're all around us and have been for years. We just haven't seen it. Anybody who presents themselves as being the rescuer, the redeemer. Redeemer, huh? Rescuer, huh? Messiah. Okay. So, verse 3, 2, pardon me, verse 2. During the high priesthood of Anus, who and his father-in-law Caiaphas, again, family affair, Anus and Caiaphas, God's word came. It came down like a burden basket and rested on John. He didn't choose it. He didn't pick it. He was minding his own business, eating locusts and wild honey. And God, again, thinking he's God, gives him all kinds of information, explains to him how the whole world works, the whole world system, from beginning to end, unpacks everything for him. And says, John, you see this mess that, that's happening here in the world? How everybody's trying to make things right? And, and we got the... the all this stuff going on, you see all that? Guess what? I'll explain it to you, and we're going to make it right. Okay. For all history, God has worked and moved in every people group. And now he is going to send his Messiah for all people groups through the tribe of Israel. There's only one Messiah for all people. That's Jesus Christ. And he is for all. In Christ, each one is included. We, however, think very exclusively. Oh, well, he's, he's the Messiah for the Jews. 
Ah, not for us. Or if you're not a Jew, you didn't hear God speak. I can show you 15 people groups in the Old Testament that God had sent a prophet to that worshiped God, the same God that the Jews worshiped. 15 of them, about. I can show them to you. And when they came to the Jews and said, hey, why don't we worship together? You know what they said to them? Every single time, we have nothing in common. What do you mean we have nothing in common? We worship the same God. Yes, you see, but actually, from this seed, you best from seed, right? You're black, I'm white. You're red, I'm yellow. You speak this language, I speak that language. How you sing doesn't, I don't like it. So we have nothing in common. And we tell our kids not to play with those kids because those kids are, they're not of us. No, 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 no. We're special. That's history from the beginning of time to now and it is today in our community. And it's embedded in our hearts. So, verse 3 he went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is John the Baptist. For all to return to the creators, to creator God's right ways of thinking, and to be released from bad ways of thinking and behaving. We think wrong. I thought going tobogganing with a sheet of plywood in the wind was a really good idea. Not so much. And so we think wrong thoughts. Wrong ideas. The Mennonites came into this community, into this area, and settled here. Wasn't that great? How did the Mennonites, our ancestors, survive and thrive in this area? We love to tell the story. We can see it, we can read it. What we don't hear very often is that if they had not been helped by the American Indians who were here, they would have not made it. For Russia, we're told, you do not proselytize. We'll give you land, the government will give you land and everything, but don't share the gospel. They said, ah, we don't like that. But we get land? Good land? Our heritage. Why do people feel rejected? And then the children were told, don't go playing with those kids, you know, because they're not from us. They're different. Don't play with those kids. They, they, they don't fit. We instill it in our culture. We're not inclusive. Hmm. So he went throughout all of Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Teaching, you're thinking wrong. Change your thinking and your actions. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, all of creation has been reeling in the aftermath. The world is a mess. Why can't we just get along? We're all shattered. Some try to convince others we not. we're not. There's a song that was sung when we were teenagers. Na, 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 hey Jude. Together now. Na, Na 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 Hey Jude, what's he singing? Why can't we all just get along, get together? The world is crying. Why can't we just get along, get together? The world is broken. There are cultures where people get along and get together, just really fine. We don't like that because we can't control them or manipulate them. So in chapter, verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, he will call, he will be a voice, talking about John, he will be a voice howling in the desert. <laughs> howling in the desert. I love it. Clear the pathways. He's howling. He's saying, your roads are crooked. Your decisions are crooked and warped. You're hurting people. You're supposed to be helping. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills will be, will be humbled, will be brought down. The crooked places will be made straight and the rough road smooth. Then all people will clearly see the good road 
that sets them free. A few times, we've been throughout Rwanda many times and spoke in every corner of the country and met with people and stayed in many homes and had some amazing, interesting meals. <laughs> We're blessed. We're just blessed beyond words. And as we met with the leaders in the church, we asked questions. Why, why do you do this? Why, why, do you, why do you call things sin that God doesn't call sin? Why is it sin for a woman to wear a pant? Why? Why can't somebody take communion if they, if they got makeup? Why does that exclude people? And we would challenge them. We taught in leadership, we says, God's idea of leadership is humble servants. And we said to them, if you, as a Church, there was 3,500 pastors we trained. If you as a church say, okay, from now on, our leadership must be humble servants helping the poor and disenfranchised. He says, we asked them, who will fight you when that happens? And they said, well, nobody. I said, no, 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 no. You're in for the biggest fight of your life. See, there's a lot of guys in the queue who want position, want honor, want money. Now, are you going to tell them you have to serve? You have to be humble? You're not going to get your car and driver? <laughs> you have seen nothing yet until the fight now comes. And my friends, we, that was true. And I like John the Baptist because probably half a dozen times people in the training would say, Did you see who you are? You're a John the Baptist. You're preparing a way for the Holy Spirit to come and move. Huh. I like John the Baptist. You don't mess around. He's given everything. So when Herod's going to take his head, he says, I gave it a long time ago. And when you approach life that way, all of a sudden things change. So, in, in Acts here, People are in groups, always have been, and all people will clearly see how we were designed to live. All people groups, Isaiah is saying, will understand. The Jews will understand, and when you, we read this in our old way of looking at it, we say, yes, that's to the Jews, they will understand that they're also included in Christ. That is true, but all people groups will understand. that they're included in Christ. You reject Christ, then you have chosen to be excluded. Verse 7. He noticed some of the spiritual leaders in the crowd coming to be baptized. John, shrewd, filled with the Spirit. And so what happens when, some, there's a, when something good happens? There's a movement that happens in a community and a culture. And if your leaders are not at the center of it, there's a problem. Because they have to be at the center of it. You know that. The, the, whoever the leaders are, perceived or elsewhere, or self-perceived, will put themselves in the center, always. So it's their idea, their plan. and every, Come follow me. Why? Because I'm the Messiah. Oh, don't say that. So what happens here is Paul recognizes the leaders in the bunch that are coming to be baptized. And the baptism is saying, I repent from my former way of living and I will live now properly how God designed it to be lived. This is before Jesus was, was doing his thing, okay? I repent of that. I'm going I'm to live properly. So as he says that, these people come. John is in his sensitive, tender way of dealing with difficult situations. Speaks in the language of Powerful leaders. He says, you nest of poisonous snakes. Who warned you to run and hide from the coming storm? You see, sometimes in our work, 
you have to confront somebody. And we think it's not Christian to confront, not biblical. Well, Paul confronted Peter publicly. Jesus called these same guys, right, brood of vipers, the same guys. John does it here. And we miss something when we're so committed to being nice and frilly all the time that truth can just blow out the door. You nest of poisonous snakes. Now you need to understand there's no people group that has ever been without a witness or a prophet from God. And those people groups have spiritual leaders. The one that God has been speaking to are spiritual leaders in those people groups. Now, I've been studying this, and I continue studying. I can give you an example, if you like. Dave, you're a little bit over the deep end. I say, if you don't, you know, if you don't go over the edge, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much room. So let's get out on the edge. You don't really know if you're on the edge unless you actually fall over sometimes. You go, ah, that's where the edge is, back there. I'll give you an example. My good brother and I in Rwanda meet every week to pray and study God's word and ask the Lord what he wants to do with him or me. Not John Paul, another fellow. John Paul I meet every week as well. But this fellow, we, we covenanted together. About five years ago we said, you know what went wrong here in Africa? We had a white Judas made a deal with a black Judas to exploit everybody and everything and get rich and, and go on. What would happen if a white Christian and a black Christian made a covenant, made a pact, that we would only do what the Holy Spirit told us to do, only in love, and neither of us would be above the other. We would be absolutely, completely here. Who knows? Maybe God will give us these people in this whole land, this nation. Why not? Let's ask him. And we did and do, and so we meet and pray and study towards that end. Who knows, right? So I asked him, in, can you study in your history, in your culture, before the missionaries ever came, let's imagine now you have to share the gospel with the people in your culture, but no missionaries ever been there. And I want you to look in your culture, history, and tell me about where was there, how would you reconcile people who just couldn't reconcile in your culture? And what does your culture have about God? He says, in our culture, historically, as far back as anybody knows, there was only one God. All-powerful, almighty God. Imana, God. I like that. Now, typically we say they got many, you know, whatever. I'm just asking him for the story from his culture. I'm pretending he's the first black guy and I'm the first white guy and we're having a conversation. There's only one God. Oh. And what do you do when people are locked horns and can't reconcile, and, but they need to? Well, first of all, he's, I says, how would you share the gospel? How would you share reconciliation? And he started going to biblical references. I says, you can't do that. There's no Bible. There's only the culture and the people and the Holy Spirit. What has the Holy Spirit been doing before the white man ever got here? So then he thought again, he said, ah, when the two warring party families are there, they will gather together now for the day of reconciliation. This guy with all his family and clan are there. This guy with all his family and clan are there. And these guys stand in front of everybody and they talk about the things that went wrong and they say, we are choosing a new way. We repent. We're going to be brothers. We're going to be together. And as evidence of that, they both cut themselves and they drank each other's blood. And now they're one. And then the families would bring all their food and they would celebrate and dance for days on end because look at this, we're together now. And people will say, ah, but that's demonic, drinking the blood, that's satanic. What did Jesus say? If you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you're not part of me. 
And my brother in Rwanda, you should have seen his face beaming. And he says, now I would go to Jesus and the story of the Last Supper, and I'd explain to them that Imana God, the one God, had a son, and he sent his son to reconcile us, and he gave his blood so that if we partake of his blood, we can be one. I like it. Amazing, amazing. And from there we go to unpack the scripture. Every people group has a testimony of God moving and working. If we just stop judging and condemning and criticizing and being self-righteous, maybe we can hear them. The indigenous people in North America have a plan like that as well. Throughout North America, they have a, they have a way of doing it, of reconciling. And what it is, again, the warring parties come together with all their people in behind them. Then in front of everybody, they tell everybody what it is that's wrong. And then they both stripped off their clothes and they change their clothes and then they celebrate and eat together because now they're one. That happened in North America. And there's a museum in Britain that has an indigenous regalia of a chief from North America because that chief stripped off all his regalia and he gave it to the general from the British Army. And the British Army guy gave him the uniform. There it is. It's in history. If we just look. Now, of course, the regalia is in the museum. It's a spectacle. And, and we'd never kept our part of the bargain. Ever. Ever. God says, it's time to repent. And my approach to these things is that I like to connect with people's culture. He says, tell me what it is that represents God, and then tell me where you got it wrong. Okay, tell me. And I'll tell you where our culture got it wrong. You tell me where your culture got it wrong. And let's get together. It's amazing. Okay, so verse 8. Prove, by other, prove to others by the way you live that you have returned to the good road to live how God intended you to live and produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourself, we have Abram as our father, so I tell you that God is able to raise up stones to be children of Abraham. Identity. Identity. Who are you? This is who I am. Oh, that's great. Did you know God could take any lump of dirt and make it that? Oh, don't like that. But we, we go to our identity and we exclude others who are not of our identity. Hmm. Identity, possessions, ideology, humility. Three things right, one thing's wrong. Three, three things wrong, one right. What makes you so special? You know, when I was born, I was Mennonite. I couldn't go plotich read. I couldn't English. Blouse plotich. For all of you people that are excluded from my clan... I didn't know any English when I went to school. I knew only low German. And I came home and, and I found out that we were Christian. Oh. So what is that? What is Christian? Mennonite. Oh, Mennonite is Christian? Yeah. Hmm. All Mennonites are Christian? Yeah. Oh. Okay, but we're EMMC. What about the EMC ones? Are they Christian too? Mm, yeah, but they're a little different. Well, what about Zummerfelder? Are they Christian too? Well, yeah, but it's complicated. So being Christian is complicated. As a kid, I mean, I've always been a problem. Not just as a kid, but I ask simple questions and I go, so it's complicated, right? What about French people? Well, no, don't, don't hang out with French people. Well, why not? Well, just don't, okay? They're just different and most of them are Catholics. Oh, are Catholics Christian? Uh, no. Oh, they're not. But I asked one and he said he was. Why does he think he's Christian, but I think he's not? What's the deal? Man, I made a problem for people. I'd ask my pastor and people, can you explain this to me? Hmm. I have a Good friend I know, he's a Banyamalengi from Congo. 
He says, all Banyamalingi are Christian. It's really? Yeah. There's no non-Christian Banyamalingi. Hmm, interesting. He says, I know you. You're a Mennonite. <laughs> I grew up with you. You're deceived. You think because you're born from a certain mother and father on this earth that you're magically something in heaven. You're deceived, my brother. He's not my friend anymore. I don't know why. Verse 9. Even now the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. What is the root of the trees? The trees are whatever it is you identify with as a people group. Wherever you tie your identity. I'm Jew, okay? Cut. I'm African. I'm whatever. I'm Mennonite. I'm from Yantzid. I'm from Ditzid. Whatever. The axe is going to cut it and saying it, it means nothing. Where you've come from means nothing. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down. The tree, all identifiable things. Then we have What then should we do? Verse 10. Now the crowds are asking. Everybody says, okay, now we can see it's going to, things are going to change, so what, what should we do? The crowds are asking. And each one chooses each day where we look to for hope. Who do we look to as Messiah? Who's going to rescue us? He replied to them, the one who has two shirts must share with the one who has none, and the one who has food must do the same. So the first thing he does is he hits the pocketbook. You're going to come be with us? You see those needy people around you? You've got to weep and grieve. I went to visit a home in northern Burundi. The Batwa, pygmies, tribal people, living in their mud huts. These people were poorer than poor. And there's guards all around me. And this is, we have to guard you and protect you because these guys are going to get, get a hold of you and kill you because... They see you as a rich white man who doesn't care, and they're going to get you. And then I sat down in the home with the little granny. Their dirt floor was neatly swept. We had tea together. And she had the joy of the Lord on her face. She says, today an angel came to visit. God loves me so much. These guys wanted to kill me. This one says an angel came to visit. Hmm. Who are we? What should we do? The tax collectors also came. What should we do? These are the wealthy, powerful tax like taxes. We, we, we have people in government, in power. Andrew Micklefield is my good friend. He's an MLA. And he's gone into power to do good, to help and to be a servant. People come into leadership in churches in different places, presumably to do good. Not always, but... Presumably. Let's presume they do. Then you get into the room of all the leaders and you look around and you find something interesting. Typically, you find that it's full of money. Oh my. Why aren't we helping those people? Say, why don't you take some home? Hmm? Go ahead. Welcome to the club. We're together now. Happens in business, happens in government, happens in church. And I've seen it everywhere. I've got to guard my heart. So Paul, John the Baptist says to them, take care of the poor. He didn't say get rid of your wealth. Wealth is a gift from God. Do not look down on people. There's a whole group of wealthy people that stayed with Jesus and funded his entire work. It's not the point. Verse 13, he told them, don't collect more than what you have been authorized to collect. Why all those starving, hungry people? Whole caravan of food waiting to get through to Somalia. About a hundred trucks. They don't get through. Why? Because the rebels take it. And the aid people say, we need more money so we can put help through. Money's not going to solve the problem. Because they have more money than we do. Problem. I'm the problem. Some soldiers came. Oh, what should we do? See, everybody wants to know, what do we do then? What should we do? 
Soldiers don't take money from anybody by force. Don't coerce them. Being pulled over in a vehicle in Kenya, traveling someplace, and, and the policeman sitting outside, and I asked the driver, why is this taking so long? He said, he wants money. If we just give money, we'll move on. He says, no. Not happening. Why don't you just do it? And you can get on with it, okay? There's whole budgets of working in people that you, you allocate money for those kinds of things. No. I was told in Rwanda, you're going to understand what it means to be a missionary. We're going to teach you what it means. You have to bring us money, give us favor, and if you don't, you won't even have a place to preach. I said, well, guess what? I'm not going to do it. And people have ideas what a missionary should do. From here, there, everywhere. And I, my pro problem is when I look in the Bible and I want to see it, I have a problem. Now, so what's happening now? When people, verse 15, people heard all these words, they began to have hope. The downtrodden, wearies. Ah, finally. We got us a leader that's going to rescue us. And in their minds they wondered, could John be the Messiah? He's our guy. He could be our guy. We look at a person. John got beheaded in Jesus' first year of ministry. I think I know why. People would not be willing to leave John and go with Jesus. And it was too important to risk that. So our Father in Heaven says, I'm going to have to take him home early. So nobody's tempted, okay? And Jesus says about John, the greatest man ever lived. We say, what? God would have somebody do that? Why? He's only this. Jesus says, the greatest guy ever lived. Why take him at that age? No, no. We forever want to follow people. Did you know after World War I in Germany, it went really bad. The, the country and everything was, under, was oppressed. And so they had to find a way to give hope to the people. And a young man got up and gave them hope. You maybe know him. Adolf Hitler. And did you know it was the pastors and the churches that supported him? Here's our Messiah. Oh, they didn't use that word. But when you're looking for something other than Jesus, you'll find everything but Jesus. So, there's a story by Martin Niemuller. He says, first they came for the socialists and I did not speak out. But I wasn't a socialist. Ah, it didn't affect me. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there's no one left to speak for me. Martin E. Muller, he was a prominent Lutheran pastor who saw Hitler as the Messiah. John answered them all, verse 16. I performed the purification ceremony. I baptized you with water. One is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. If we will humble ourselves and be honest and ask God, what is it in me that is wrong, that I believe that is not true? He will show you. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. What if we go to God and say, whatever, whenever, however, I'm yours. And God in heaven says, I will strongly support. Mm -mm. What happens if I repent? What happens if there's nobody? The one in the mirror covenants with his heart completely be the Lord's. Verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will separate the grain from the husks. His harvest basket is in his hands. He will store the grain in the barn and the husks will burn in fire. 
There it is. Are we ready? Is there going to be any, anything in the basket? Or is it going to get burned? Verse 18. With many more words, gift of goodwill, John warned and encouraged the people with a good story of what the good road looks like. You know what the good road looks like? Your yes is yes, your no is no. Remember that? A deal is a deal. That's what it looks like. Or as long as the sun shines, as long as the grass grows, and as long as the river flows, I'll be true to my word. Imagine living that way in a culture, in a community. My word is my bond. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. We'll talk about that more another time. Verse 19, then John, being Mr. Sensitive, rebuked Herod about stealing his own brother's wife and about all the evils that he'd done. Herod, remember, I told you who these Herods were and what they did, right? He rebuked him publicly. So, Herod throws John in prison because that's what he does. It's not going to go easy. If you want easy, you're in the wrong place. But if you want worthwhile and meaningful, exciting, mm, 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 mm. I'm closing with Psalms 121. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the one who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would encourage us each that we had come before you, spent time before you, even as the people have been called to pray and fast and pray. Ask you, Lord, what is it? What is it in me, Lord, that you don't want there? What is it in that I think or that I believe that doesn't honor you and leads to bad choices? And what is it that is good and right that I maybe didn't even understand? What is it there, Lord? Help me to see. Father, I pray for this community in the middle of Canada. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. I ask you for a move of the Spirit, which is a grass fire movement that no one can stop. And I ask you here, Father, for people's hearts who are completely devoted to you, praying and worshiping, and your Spirit will say, ah, this is where I want to be. Thank you, Father. Amen.